Good morning, Christ City. Well, we're again back in our Jesus series, and today we're looking at the presence of Jesus. Now, the presence of Jesus on earth when he walked uh, this world uh, in a particular place in a particular time, but the presence of Jesus with us today still. Because after Jesus' death and after his resurrection, he ascended. He has gone away. And yet the miracle of our faith is that because he has gone away, because he has ascended into heaven, he is closer to us now than he was even to his disciples when he first walked on this world. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, in leaving us on earth, ascended to the right hand of the Father in order to pour out the Holy Spirit on his people and on his church. Now, when we think of the Holy Spirit, there's something funny that we do. I think Christians in our circles, in evangelical circles broadly, tend to do either uh, one of two things. Either A, they live their lives mostly ignoring that the Holy Spirit is real. Or B, uh, they kind of live their lives in a mostly obsessed with the Holy Spirit sort of way that's slightly inappropriate maybe and, and misses the central elements of what the Holy Spirit in Scripture is actually declared to be doing. But on the one hand, that second option is a little bit more close to the truth in that the Spirit is central to everything about us as Christians, to every part of our lives. In fact, uh, one scholar even wrote that Paul's doctrine of the Spirit is far more central and characteristic than his doctrine of justification by faith uh, in the Bible. The Spirit is absolutely central. The Spirit is so crucial to our faith that he deserves a whole sermon in the middle of a series that is all about Jesus. And actually, that's the perfect place to talk about the Spirit. That's the place where we'll get the Spirit's role right. Because Christ City, the more we look at the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the more we see that the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself delights in Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. This morning, we're going to look at the presence of Jesus, and we're going to look at the presence of Jesus with us by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to see how central that is to us in our faith. I want you to see that because of the Holy Spirit, and only because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is present with us. That will be our first point. And second, that because of the Holy Spirit, and only because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is glorified among us. And third, because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' work is enabled to continue through us. So we're going to jump into uh, the sermon, looking at that first point right away, that because of the Spirit, Jesus is present with us. And throughout this message, we're going to be spending our time mostly in John chapter 14 and John 16. And just by way of introduction to that passage in the Gospel of John, one of the stories about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and ascension, um, I want you to know that, that John chapter 14, all the way to John 17, is filled with possibly the most incredible teaching from Jesus about who he is and about who the Father is and about who the Spirit is and about what he's drawing us into as a church. It's incredible in its teaching and its exalted explanation of who God is, but there are also passages that take place in the midst of great sorrow and suffering in the lives of the disciples. 
there's all this anguish happening. Because Jesus, leading up to this section, he keeps telling his disciples that he's going to leave them. I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes for a moment. And just think about this. The disciples have enjoyed this incredible fellowship with Jesus. They've lived now with Jesus for nearly three years. They've basically gone to sleep at night saying, hey, good night, Jesus, and waking up to Jesus, making the coffee and frying the eggs or whatever the equivalent would be for first century Jews. They were close with Jesus. They've become unimaginably close with this person who is fully God and fully man, living their day-to-day lives with him. And they love him. They've come to adore and to treasure Jesus. They've come to live their lives comforted by him, taught by him, delighting in him in every way. And they are eager because of that to follow him and to serve him no matter what the cost would be. But in the verses leading up to John 14, Jesus has just had a conversation with his disciples and he's told them that he's about to leave them. I'm going away. I'm departing and you cannot follow me. And Peter's upset. He says in John chapter 13, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus doesn't respond to to Peter uh, like a a frustrated and manipulated parent who says, okay, well then I'll stay. No, Jesus responds to Peter by teaching him and the other disciples, by teaching them about the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14, verses 15 to 23 to see this. Jesus responds and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not as scary, he said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Christ City, are you burdened? Are you weighed down today by the circumstances of your life? By the sorrows and sufferings that you face? Do you today wish in your own heart, man, I wish I could just be with Jesus? 
Or do you wish, I wish that I could have walked with Jesus back when he was on this earth. If I had only been with him in that way, it would have been okay. I want you to look at Jesus' words again. I know this passage is dense, but, but look at some of the things that he's saying. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you, that's us, the disciples of Jesus, he will give us another helper to be with us forever. Or look at verse 17, when Jesus says that he dwells with you and he will be in you. Look at verse 18, just hear the words of Jesus and rejoice when he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Or verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Or verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Again, I know this passage is dense. It's, it's famously dense. These, these chapters 14, 15, and 16, and 17 are filled with this incredible, complex, and beautiful teaching from John. But what Jesus is saying to his disciples is profound, and we can, I think, make it concise. He's teaching them this. He's saying, because I will go away, the Holy Spirit will come. Jesus is saying, because I will leave you physically, I will return to be with you, intimately present, within you, never to leave you again, never to depart from you. How is that possible? Well, it's only possible because we serve Christ City. We serve a God who is one in three. We serve a Trinity, a triune God. One God in three persons, the Father and the Spirit and the Son. And the, the teaching about this one God in three persons is that uh, it's not as if Father, Son, and Spirit are each a third of God or that Father, Son, and Spirit are each individually their own individual gods. But they are three persons forever existing as one God. And one of the implications of this teaching is that where one member is, there the others are as well because of the perfect unity that they share together as God. So where the Spirit is present in the lives of his people, this means that the Father and the Son are also present. It means that when Jesus walked this earth, where he was, the presence of the Father and the Spirit were with him as well. This is why John 14 verse 9 is true. When, when Philip said, Jesus, just show us the Father. And Jesus responded, whoever has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. And in the same way for us, that means that this same Jesus who spoke comforting words to his disciples, this same Jesus who taught his disciples the truth, this same Jesus who is friend of sinners, who is Lord of lords, and who is Christ, he is with us now by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. That he is intimately present with us. I'm sure waking up in the morning in a little uh, first century Jewish house and having Jesus in the next room would have been wonderful. But at Christ City, this teaching shows us that we have something better. The third member of the Trinity is with us. 
And with his presence, not only is the fullness of Jesus present with us, but the fullness of Father, Son, and Spirit. The presence of God dwelling in us. Again, read through these verses. 14 verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Verse 23, my Father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our home with him. You see, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is this. Because Jesus goes away, because the disciples for a time do not see him, because he's going to go to his death and he will be buried, he will be in the tomb, not buried, but in the tomb. Because he would be crucified, because he'd be resurrected and they would see him again, they would be brought into his presence forever. And he would never leave them. And he would never forsake them. He would forever be present with all who follow him. At the end of all this teaching, in chapter 16, Jesus could look at his disciples and he could encourage them. I want you to hear these words from Jesus that I'm about to read from 1622. And I want you to be encouraged by them in your present situation as well. Jesus says to you, he says, You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This is true for us because of the presence of God with us by his spirit. So Christ City, as we reflect on this, I want to ask you, are you suffering? Jesus, who welcomed sinners and raised the dead and touched the lepers, is present. Are you struggling? Jesus, who said, come to me and I will give you rest, he is with you. Are you sinning? Well, Jesus, who breathes life into the dead and whose grace is greater than all of our sin, he dwells in you. Are you overwhelmed? Jesus, who is the God over all, holding the universe in its place, he is the one who holds you close. Are you afraid? Jesus, who has defeated the ruler of this world and has been exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords over everything and everyone, he is your King. And he is with you and within you in his victory. Again, I want you to, to hear another passage from Jesus at the end of the chapter in verses 33 of John 16. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, so the Holy Spirit... He brings us into the presence of Jesus. Jesus is present with us because of the Holy Spirit. But he's also at work in his presence with us. What is that work? Well, it's this. It's to glorify Jesus. That's our second point. Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit is working, glorifying Jesus. And I want you to see this again by looking at the Gospel of John, but this time at chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. And there we read, When the Spirit of truth comes... He will glorify me. And that word glorify is really interesting. It means to, to make much of. It means to, to praise. It's a strange word, but you've actually seen it in action before in your life. If you stop and think for a moment about that person, 
that you know uh, would never hold back on telling you what's really going on in their life and what they're really interested in. That person who never leaves you guessing for a moment what they're really excited about. That's uh, glorifying. <laughs> they won't stop talking about that thing. They're excited about it. You wonder sometimes if maybe they are majority shareholders in whatever they're interested in in the moment, moment because they won't shut up about it. They're so excited about that thing or that person or that event. They talk and talk and talk. They make much of it. Now, when the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a little bit like that. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is different than that person because the Holy Spirit's affections, unlike that person's affections, which you know to change all the time, the Holy Spirit's affections never change. The Holy Spirit is always, always delighting in Jesus, always excited about and making much of the same thing, Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is shining the light on Jesus all the time, illuminating him so we would pursue him, so that we would love him like the Spirit himself loves Jesus. Look a little bit closer at the Spirit's work now in John uh, verses 7 to 8, or John chapter 16, verses 7 to 8. Jesus describes the work of the Spirit this way. He says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is what he will do when he comes. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning three things. Concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And that word convict is an interesting word. Another way of translating it would be that the, the, the Spirit would bring to light these three things. Bring to light sin and righteousness and judgment. See, that Jesus, uh, the Spirit, um, is, is interested in turning the floodlights on reality in our lives. Bringing things to light in order to draw us towards Jesus Christ. To delight in him as he himself delights in Jesus. And the first way he does that, this passage says, is by enlightening, enlightening us or shining the lights on sin. You know, when we moved to into Vancouver the first time, our first apartment uh, was a bottom floor apartment, first floor apartment that was facing north and that was in the alley. And it was very old. It was over 100 years old. Now, as a result, uh, we didn't really see the true state of that apartment even up to the time that we moved. But when we moved out of that apartment, all the old furniture uh, that was there was brought into my new apartment and in that new apartment, which is on the fifth floor and has full cell and exposure and uh, four-to-ceiling windows in my main room, uh, all of a sudden the light shone on uh, my furniture and I could see every speck of dust, every child handprint, and every crumb and was appalled at how dirty my furniture was. Well, the Holy Spirit's a little bit like that as he enters into this world. He comes like floodlights pointed at the dirty furniture of your heart. And oftentimes I think we think our sin is no big deal. We're sort of living in the dark on that, that first floor old apartment that I used to have. We think that our sin is no big deal. I mean, after all, we've been living our whole lives surrounded by people that are doing the same things. We've become used to the brokenness and the tragedy that results because of sin because it's all around us. We've been used to the way that our sin slowly sucks our lives from us because it's just our present and normal reality. But what happens when the Spirit shows up is that the Spirit mercifully takes hold of us and forces us into a well-lit mirror to get a good look at ourselves and see what we really are. 
And it turns out that our sin isn't a neutral matter of preference. It's ugly. It's destructive. It's evil. It's rebellion against a good and a loving God who wants our flourishing. And we keep fighting him. You see, the Spirit comes and he convicts us of sin. And second, he also convicts us of something else. He brings a light on something else. He brings a light on righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, when Isaiah prophesied what would happen when Jesus arrived on this earth, he prophesied it in terms of light and darkness in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. He says, The people who walked in darkness, the people who lived in a community of sin, sinners themselves, among a people who were sinners, uh, just numb and, and broken and living uh, the status quo of a sinful life in the dark, the people who walked in darkness, they have seen a great light. Why? Because Jesus Christ began to walk among them. Because into their lives stepped Jesus Christ in his perfection and his beauty. And the thing is, it isn't just the people of ancient Judea who now marvel at Jesus' light. No, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we too marvel as the Spirit brings Jesus to light in our hearts. So that we see him as they saw him, contrasted with the darkness of our sin, gloriously beautiful and light in his righteousness, in his compassion, in his mercy, in his justice, in his love, in his courage, in his truth, in his faithfulness, in the way that he identifies with those who are hurting, in the way that he shows compassion for those who are needy, the hungry, the downcast, the way that he reaches out and extends grace and love to the hopeless sinner. See, Christ City, there is no one like Jesus. And the Spirit loves to show Jesus brilliantly to us against the backdrop of our sins so that we would turn from our sin and turn towards him. So we would grow to, to hate this thing that's destroying us in our sin and we would come to the life that is only found in Jesus Christ. This is where the first miracle happens. Because the Spirit shows us ourselves in the beauty of the Son, we're changed. Because rather than being rejected by God because of our sin and because of his incredible righteousness, we're not. We're loved. We're forgiven. We're adopted. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is a spirit. You see, as Jesus meets our sinfulness with his mercy and grace, our hearts are changed. The love of God is poured into our hearts for the Holy Spirit whom he has given us, Paul says in Romans 5, verse 5. We're transformed. We realize that we've not been rejected, we've been embraced. And that changes us to live freely, not in slavery to sin, but in the freedom of sons of God, giving and receiving his love as he has given it to us. Christy, maybe you remember when this first happened to you. 
Maybe you remember when, when for the first time, the ugliness of your sin started to become real. You start to get a taste of its bitterness. Maybe you remember that first moment when you began to get a taste of the sweetness of Jesus Christ in his beauty and in his glory. Maybe you remember that first moment when you realized that he loved you, that he would not reject you, that in the gospel there is no condemnation for you, only an embrace in the loving arms of a father. Christy, this is the fundamental work of the Spirit, drawing us into the grace and the love and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ our Lord, exalting Jesus in our hearts. But Christ City, I have a question for you. Are you now walking in the Spirit? Have you seen the beauty and the excellence of Jesus through his Spirit? Are you walking in that beauty and that excellence even now? Or have you grown numb to the word of God and to your own sin? Have you begun to turn away from the beauty of Jesus and towards something else in your life? Christ said, you cannot be full of sin and the Spirit. So let me invite you as you wrestle with this, as you think about this, to turn again to Jesus, to stop your life, to take a moment and to come to Jesus to cry out to him, to draw you to himself, to fill you with himself, to ask the Spirit to glorify Christ in your heart again. And this leads us to our last point, which is this. Because of the Spirit, Jesus' work continues through us. Because of the Spirit, Jesus' work is continuing to fill up this world with his presence. See, through the Spirit, Jesus is present with us, being glorified among us and at work, also filling this world with himself. How does that happen? Well, it happens through his church. Why don't you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. There we read, And he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Do you see that? Look at the way that, that Paul describes the church describes it as the body of Jesus, which is the fullness of Jesus, who fills all in all. You see, Jesus ascended into heaven in order to pour out his presence through his spirit into your heart, into my heart, into the hearts of his people in this church to fill us up with himself, to flush out sin, to flush out our selfishness, to fill us with his love, and to use that to expand his church's presence in this world. Why? Well, so that the glory of Jesus would fill this world. So that people would be churned from sin to marvel and to worship in the greatness of the mercy of the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christy, this means that as you and I are filled with the spirit of Jesus, it is Jesus' own love that is being loved out by you towards others means that you are embodying the presence of Jesus by his presence in you to show it to other people. It's his life that is increasing in you towards others. It is his mercy towards sinners that is extended through you when you show mercy to another sinner. When you invite them to know the mercy and the grace of God. It's his mercy and his love and his kindness that you share when you invite someone who does not yet know Jesus into your home. 
to love them and to care for them. It is the Father and the Son's love for this world that the Spirit fills us with and that moves us to pursue in love in the same way that God has loved and pursued us. Christy, I really hope that the significance of that lands on you. See, Jesus is not at work in this world apart from the way that he has worked by his Spirit and through his church. You are what God is using to complete his mission on earth. And Jesus' ascension and his presence with us by the Spirit, it's all beautifully brought together in this passage at the end of Matthew, when Jesus himself says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, that's the mission, and make disciples of all nations. Fill this world with me, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. He's present with us, always to the end of the age. Chris City, in conclusion, I want to say this. Probably many of you hear a passage of Scripture unpacked like this, hear this kind of idea played out, and you'll say something like this. You'll say, Brent, I mean, that's great, but honestly, I don't feel the presence of the Spirit in my life. I don't. Well, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to turn away from anything that you think might be a quick fix. Because growth in the Spirit is not a quick fix. It is real, but it's honestly fairly mundane. You see, the Spirit increases in us as we increasingly give our lives in obedience to Jesus. It's as we respond moment by moment, day by day, in faith and obedience to the Word of God. As that accumulates in our life, the sense and the understanding of the joy of the Lord, of the increase of his presence, increases in us as well. And that means that if you aren't making any effort to obey or to seek Christ, you will not increase in his presence. You can't sit back and just hope that one day he'll zap you and make it true for you. You must pursue Christ as you open your Bible. Just open your Bible, come to him, make a, a habit of it, And as you do pray, say, God, would you speak to me? God, would you cause my heart to be soft and tender towards you? Would you help me to see Christ, to love him and to follow him? The fullness of the Spirit grows in our lives as we spend time in fellowship and in prayer with one another, as we worship together as the body of Christ. And the day-by-day actions of obedience is when the Spirit increases in our lives as we give ourselves the mission of Christ, seeking to be obedient to the opportunities that Jesus brings us to serve one another and to share his love with those around us, moment by moment and day by day. So if you want to grow in the unbelievably good glory and blessing of the presence of the Spirit, If you want to say with Paul in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you want to feel what the church in Asia felt when Peter wrote to them in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, though you do not see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. If you want that, then you have a choice. Starting today, who will you serve? Will you serve Jesus Will you walk with him to grow in the fullness of his spirit? Or will you continue walking in this world, 
pursuing your satisfaction and your joy there, to only increase in yourself, to only increase in the disappointment and the brokenness that that will bring you. Who will you serve? 